Assalamu alaikum. Can everybody hear and see? Can everybody hear and see? So we'll give uh, Sheikh Abu Osama a couple of minutes to log on, inshallah. Okay. Alhamdulillah, Yerobil Alameen, was Saratu was Salam, Allah Ashrafil Lambia, Iwal Mursaleen, Wala Adihi was Habihi, Ajmain. So Alhamdulillah, we're waiting for uh, Sheikh Abu Usama Al Dahabi to log on, inshallah. And then we're going to start with the last portion of our segment, uh, last segment of our program today, inshallah. Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum assalam. Okay, so here's Abu Osama logging on now. Give me a second. Assalamu alaikum, Abu Osama, can you hear me? Alaikum salam wa rahmatullah. Yes, I can hear you. Okay, alhamdulillah. Were were you able to um do both log on with your phone on uh Instagram? With my phone? No, I was just yeah. able to log, log on right here. That's it. Okay. All right. Can you log on with an Instagram or something? I have Instagram, yeah. Okay, so go to go to my Instagram page from your phone. I and see then it. Okay, yeah, now I send me a request. Send me a request to log on. 
Can you send a request to log on? Yeah, 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 please. Send him a request. There should be a button at the bottom that says send request to join. Oh, send a request to join. I can hear you talking now on Instagram. Okay. So turn turn your volume down. Yep, I see it. Turn my volume on my phone down? Yes. All right, it's down. Okay, can you still hear the echo? No echo at all. I hear you okay. very clear. Sounds good. Okay. Uh, let's see, let's see. Waiting for, it's waiting for your response. On your phone. Look, look at your phone. Okay. Enable camera. Enable microphone. Microphone. Okay. There we go. Hey. Right. Feedback on my side. Hold on. Turn uh, turn the volume down on your computer. On the computer. Just turn the volume down. Okay, sounds good. Okay, I think we're good now. Okay, so alhamdulillah, rabbil alameen, wa salatu wa salam. على أشرف الأنبياء والمرسلين وعلى آله وأصحابه أجمعين. So alhamdulillah, we would like to welcome our esteemed guest, Sheikh Abu Osama. Uh, needs no introduction. Um, well known to the Muslim community here in America as well as abroad. And uh, inshallah ta'ala, he's going to talk with us today about uh, our relationship with Islam. Throughout the course of the past day, from yesterday all the way up until today, our discussions have been centered around the different relationships that we have. Our relationship, we talked about our relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We talked about our relationship with our children. We talked about our relationship with ourselves. And we talked about our relationship with the Quran. And today, inshallah ta'ala, Abu Usama al-Dhahabi is going to talk about our relationship with Islam. Some people, their relationship with Islam can be very toxic, depending on the extreme that they go to. And then on the other side of that, there are those who have little to no relationship with Islam at all because of their disconnect, their disconnect with Islam. So we want to talk about, you know, how we find that balance streams and then how to find that balance. So without further ado, Abu Osama, can you um, position your cell phone on Instagram where we I can see your face? Yep, there you go. There you go. You're good. Okay, go ahead. You're good. In regards to the issue of our relationship with the religion of Islam, 
issue can be tackled with, confronted, dealt with. You you hit the mute button on your microphone, Shake. Unmute your mic. Abu Sama on the Zoom, you muted your microphone. Unmute the mic. Should be a button that says unmute. Okay. How there about you that? You're good. You're good. Just don't touch anything. Right, because the brother right, left. Brother left. Stuck <laughs> so what All I right. want to share with you, brothers and sisters, really is an aspect of this broad and wide topic. And that is sometimes when a person comes to the religion of Al-Islam, due to ignorance or due to many issues, the individual may not appreciate what Islam is all about. So there's a clash and a conflict between, you know, Shadid, my phone is about to die. Should I plug it up? Yeah, please. Even even right, if we can just hear you and not see you, it's fine. <laughs> Social media, man. Okay, go ahead. Can you hear me now? Yes, I can. I can't. Can you hear me now? Yes, I can. You can hear me? I can't hear you. So I know. I, I don't. I don't see you on. You have to rejoin on Instagram. You logged off. Just send me a request to join. Should I just keep talking? Because I can't hear anything. I don't know what's going on. I didn't see. Yes, go ahead. Keep talking. So as I was saying, I remember when I came into the religion of Islam and I was being informed uh, by people who didn't know what they were talking about. And they had me fasting in the blessed month of Ramadan in America during the summer months in which the hours are very long. And I was fasting from Fajr time to Salat al-Isha instead of Salat al-Maghrib. So as a result of the misinformation, I crashed, I clashed. It was a crash between me and the religion that I was trying to practice. And I almost apostated because I never knew fasting prior to that, being a wow. Christian. So not having any prior experience with fasting at all, accepting Islam in the month of Ramadan and being told that I have to fast from Fajr until Salat al-Isha, it was a daunting task to say the least. So my relationship with the religion is one in which I wanted to run away from the religion. I came into it with sincerity, but being asked to do that was just too much. It was overwhelming. So the one aspect of our relationship with Al-Islam that I want to talk about is that we should understand that Al-Islam has come to make things easy for us and not to make things difficult for us. Inside of the religion itself, Allah has legislated a religion that makes things easy, easy for the people and easy on the, on the people. And as a result of that, as a result of that, it's more, a person is more able and capable of having, developing, and maintaining a relationship. So if you were to look at the fact that Allah's names 
the one who sent this religion to the Prophet وسلم, and all the rest of the prophets who completed the religion. He has names like, I need you to stay because I was having problems. He has names like Ar-Rahman, Ar-Rahim, Al-Latif, Al-Halim. He is Al-Afu, the greatest dua for later to Qadr that you can mention is Allah, you pardon. You love pardon. So therefore, pardon me. So all of those names and all of those attributes of the one subhanahu wa ta'ala who sent this religion and commanded us to have a relation and connection to this religion, he legislated that the religion, it goes in harmony with our reality. And it becomes something, this thing is going off, it was making noise. And it goes perfectly in line and in tune with our lives, making it that much more easier to stay in the deen, to practice the deen, to be upon the deen. So I wanted to, to talk on this message very quickly. Our relationship with Al-Islam can be enhanced. It can be further you know, developed as a result of people understanding, don't make the religion difficult on yourselves and don't make the religion difficult on other people. You want your children, if we want our children to have a relationship with this religion, to pray and to identify as being Muslims, then we have to understand that we shouldn't make things difficult. Allah said to the Prophet of Al-Islam, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, Ya Muhammad, if you were rough and tough with these people, Abu Bakr, Umar, Uthman, Ali, they were from the Oliya. If you were rough and tough with them, they would have dispersed from you and they would have left you. Because the fitter of the people is that people don't like people being rough and tough with them. So if you find that there's roughness and toughness and coarseness, shidda, and people are being patient with that or accepting it, digesting it, then there's something wrong. Because the natural response to that is to say, hey man, get that away from me. Get that out of here. Because people want to be in comfort to the best of their ability. As it relates to the ayat concerning this, to bring this lesson home, Allah sent the religion, making that religion easy so that the people can digest what the religion is saying and hold on to the, what the religion is saying. Allah mentioned in the Quran, Allah wants to make things easy for you. He wants to lighten your burden. Everybody has burdens, mental burdens, financial burdens, social burdens, everybody. Allah said he wants to make takhfif and lighten your burdens, not make you, you know, heavy, heavily laden, things are difficult. That's one ayah. It's not just one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, many ayah. Yuridullahu bikum al-yusr, wa la yuridu bikum al-usr. Allah wants for all of you ease. And he doesn't want to make things difficult for you. And that ayat was revealed, Surah Al-Baqarah, about fasting that is coming. How is fasting easy? Fasting, Allah doesn't want difficult for it. The lady is pregnant. She doesn't have to fast. One month pregnant. She doesn't have to fast. She's suckling her job. She doesn't have to fast. You're traveling. You don't have to fast. Another ayat. And there are many. Islam is easy so that we can have a relationship and stay in this religion and on this religion. And not only that, but excel in the religion as opposed to doing the opposite of that. In Surah Al-Hajj, Hajj, Allah Ta'ala mentioned, 
وما جعل عليكم في الدين من حرج ملة أبيكم إبراهيم Allah has not made things difficult upon you in your religion. In your religion. And this is the milla of your father, Ibrahim. So anyone who's listening to me right now, if you performed hajj or umrah, especially women, Prophet Muhammad said that the hajj is the jihad of the woman. And yet this ayat that's connected to hajj says, Allah has not made things difficult for you in your religion. This is the middle of Ibrahim, your father. So if you want to perform hajj, you think three categories. Maybe you're going to do a tamattur. Maybe you're going to do al-iqran. Maybe you're going to do al-ifrad. Depending upon your circumstances, Allah gives us this variety according to what suits you best for the purpose of, from one of the purpose, continue to maintain and hold on to your relationship with Al-Islam. If things are rough and tough, people are going to leave. People are not going to practice. They're going to have a conflict. So there are many ayat that we can mention. The ayat that everyone knows for inna ma'lusri yusra. Inna ma'lusri yusra. Allah mentioned verily, with difficulty there comes ease. With difficulty there comes ease. So the person who's struggling with mental issues, May Allah help all of us because the spread of mental issues is running rampant right now from severe to light and everything between that. Allah Ta'ala said, with every difficulty, there is ease. And he mentioned again for emphasis, let there be no doubt that you won't have difficulty that's perpetual throughout your life. Throughout your life is not going to happen because it would be if that was the case, People would give up. They would lose hope. People would commit suicide. People would behave in a way that is not productive. They'll behave in a way in which they don't see the rainbow at the end of the tunnel, as they say. The last ayat that we want to mention, Shalab, and as I said, with many, in Surah Taha, Allah mentioned, Taha ma anzalna alayka al-Quran li tashqa. Ya Muhammad. I have not revealed this Quran on you to make things difficult. No. So now we take that ayat and we say, in the month of Ramadan, it's the sunnah. We want to complete the Quran's recitation and read 30 Jews of the Quran. But in this COVID situation that we're in, we don't have to complete the whole Jews of the month of Ramadan. We're going to look at the condition and the needs of our people as it relates to Ramadan, as it relates to all the other factors and variables in regards to our existence. We're going to look at everything and we're going to say, look, this religion came to make things easy for the people, to help them maintain and stay on the course of the journey to Allah Ta'ala and the Siratul Mustaqim. Everything in the religion is ease. In addition to that, we have to look at the Sunnah. Because we want to give you a holistic, complete, total picture of this concept. And we're only dealing with an aspect of our relationship with, with, with Islam. Because this is an important topic. We can go, someone ask me and say, hey, can you come and uh, get money for us? Like for this school that we're asking people. Look, here's another institution that we're asking people to help support. Because as Muslims in our societies and the environment where we're at, we have to develop infrastructure. We have to develop those institutions that are going to help us. 
So I come and I come on here and I start saying all of these ayat about giving money, give money, I had these stories, give money, give money. And that's what I'm saying. No, I want people to know your relationship in Islam is one in which as a Muslim, your relationship with the religion is you're responsible for this religion. You're responsible for this religion. So when it comes to like the issue of sadaqah, why is Abu Bakr al-Siddiq called al-Siddiq? It comes from the word sadaqah, sitq. Sadaqah, give sadaqah. And sitq, Abu Bakr al-Siddiq is al-Siddiq because al-Isra wal-Miraj. He believed, although he didn't hear the prophet say that, when they came and told him, Rasulullah said, Muhammad said, he went to the seven heavens and then baked al maqdis all in one night, he returned. Abu Bakr said, I wasn't there, I didn't hear it. But if he said it, I believe it. He was called a Sadiq for that. And he was also called a Sadiq because he gave more sadaqah than anybody else. So as a Muslim, my relationship with Islam, I'm not coming here to tell people, give money, give money, not give ayat. I'm telling people, you have a connection to your religion that makes you responsible, as Allah said in the Quran. Allah said, I created the jinn and the mankind for the sole purpose of worshiping me. I don't want their money and I don't want them to feed me. Allah Razak has all of the money and he is powerful and he is mighty. Allah doesn't need us to give money for a school just to give money for the school. We give money for the school because as a Muslim, my relationship with the religion is I have to take care of the religion. I have to take care of the masjid. I, it's a responsibility. Allah has purchased from the believers their lives and their money. And they get in return the Jannah. So our money doesn't even belong to us. The money that we're saying, people, give money, help the school. It's not about me begging and just saying, give money, help the school. Your relationship with Al-Islam necessitates and dictates you and I feel a responsibility of getting behind Islamic institutions and supporting them, not as a choice, but as something that is an obligation. So back to the issue of sharing with you some of the ahadith about the ease, the ease of this religion, ease so that we can remain, inshallah, and stay on the religion. And there are just too many hadith. Prophet Muhammad described his religion, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, and he said, I've been sent with the religion that makes things easy. As samha, as when someone makes a mistake for you, you say, Samihni, forgive me, overlook me, overlook what I did. This is the religion he was sent with. People forgive each other. So if there's forgiveness, if there's forbearance, we're able to remain in the religion and on the religion because things are not unbearable. Another issue, and there are just so many hadith. The Prophet of Islam, sallallahu alayhi wa alayhi wa sallam, listen, he described this religion. Listen, inna deen yusr. Inna deen yusr. Walan yashad deen ahadun illa ghalaba. This religion of Islam is easy. And anyone who comes into this religion and he goes overboard and rough and tough, the religion will overwhelm him. So he wakes up in the morning and he walks to the masjid. He makes wudu. He doesn't waste water. He makes wudu with cold water. 
He makes two rakas in the house, walks to the masjid, makes two rakas entering the house, prays Fajr. After that, he sits in his spot, reads the Quran until the sun comes up, makes two rakats, goes to the hospital to visit the sick. From there, he goes and gives some sadaqah to some poor person. From there, he goes home, he does this, and he does this all day, every day. At some point, the religion is going to overwhelm him. So we always tell brothers and sisters who come into this religion in Islam, when you're making your connection, pump your brakes and slow down so that you don't get burnt out. You have to pace yourself so that you can maintain and continue your relationship with your religion. And the legislation of the religion made it so that that can be accomplished. Look what happened, guys. The Prophet Sallallahu had a companion. His name was Mu'ad ibn Jabal. Mu'ad ibn Jabal was from the scholars of the companions. He will come Yom Al-Qiyamah holding a flag and all of the ulama would be behind Mu'ad ibn Jabal. He was one of the four people that the Nabi said, Learn the Quran from Mu'adh ibn Jabal. This man was the man. He used to pray Salat al-Isha behind the Nabi to get the reward, But he was the Imam in Masjid Quba, which was the first masjid built in Al-Islam. After completing the prayer behind Rasulullah, he would go to his masjid and his community would pray behind him. One day he went to his masjid after praying Isha with the Nabi. He started reading Surah Al-Baqarah, Surah Al-Baqarah Isha. A man got out of the line. He went on the side. He prayed his Isha by himself and he went home. When Mu'adh ibn Jabal, the scholar, unlike and unparalleled, no scholar is like him in the world today. He got out of the line and said, what happened? What did that man do? They told Mu'adh ibn Jabal. Mu'adh said he's a munafiq. That's the action of a munafiq. The one who doesn't want to be with the Muslims, disconnects from the Muslims, prays by himself. He's a munafiq. He gave a ruling on that man. Mu'adh went to the Prophet ﷺ, told the Prophet what the man did. Rasulullah in helping to maintain the connection of people with Islam, he didn't make a judgment just based upon what Mu'adh said. That would be rough and tough and unfair to make a judgment. And there are two sides of the story. He asked the other man, what happened? You tell me your side of the story. Can you imagine if people took the side of the story of one person and that's it? We will leave Islam because it's not fair. It's not just. We were oppressed. Prophet Muhammad said, what's your side of the story? The man said, now, nah, Rasulullah, I'll be in the desert all day. I'm waiting for Muad to come praying behind you. And then he comes and start reading Surah Al-Baqarah. I'm tired. I'm hot. I come to the masjid to, make, to get reward for Jamaat. I got went home. They said that the Prophet's face, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, became red with anger, became red. And then he said to the companions, inna minkum munafireen, inna minkum munafireen, inna minkum munafireen. In our community, from you people are those people who run people away from the religion. They disconnect their relationship with the religion, making it hard on them, making it unbearable not answering their issues, not helping them, instead of helping them, harming them. And that can be in different ways. He said that three times. And then he told whoever prays, when you pray, you lead the people in Salat, shorten your prayer, make it easy. Because behind the Imam, behind you, is a person who is old, is a person who is sick, and is a person who has something to do, like that man who had to get back to his house. So all of those are examples of 
how the religion of Al-Islam came to make things easy for people in the hopes that people won't have an excuse and say, the religion is too difficult. Now, when I say that the religion is easy, that doesn't mean that it's easy according to our desires. And Abu Sama said, Islam is easy, so therefore I don't have to pray. And Islam is easy, and so therefore I don't have to wear hijab. And Islam is easy, so therefore I could smoke crack, I could smoke blunts, and I don't, nope, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that at all, Shadid Muhammad Ali. What I'm saying here is, Islam has been made easy in its legislation, taken in consideration. The man is old. This is a child. This one is on the, this one is from the desert, and that, and so forth and so on, those dynamics. I want to share something with you, brothers and sisters, to bring this point home as it relates to the Ramadan that is in front of us. So listen to this example and listen well. Sahil Bukhari, a Muslim, there was a man who came with sincerity and he exposed himself. He said, Ya Rasulullah, I have been destroyed. Halaktu, I've been destroyed. Keeping in mind that there's a hadith about this. Prophet Muhammad says, those who make things difficult will be destroyed. They will be destroyed. They will be destroyed. They make things difficult on themselves, on their children, on the society, on their students. You will be destroyed. Make things easy within the demarcation, within the boundaries of the deen. Listen to this hadith, and don't you guys forget this hadith if you didn't hear it before, but I think you should have heard it. The man came and exposed himself. Ya Rasulullah, I'm destroyed. I destroyed myself. Rasulullah said, wait, 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 why you say that? The man said, I had relationships, sexual relationships during the daytime in the month of Ramadan. That's one of the biggest sins in Al-Islam, for a person to eat, drink, or have sex in the daylight hours. This is one of the biggest kabira from the kabat in major sense. You may read the famous hadith, whoever breaks his fast without a just reason will never be forgiven, even if he fasts for the rest of his life. That's a fabricated hadith, it's not true. Don't believe that. If a person did something like that, Allah stills ghafur rahim, you made a big sin, but give it the program and make Toba. Now let's get back to the hadith. Ya Rasulullah, I have a relationship with my wife, with my wife in the daytime in, 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 in Ramadan. Prophet Muhammad said to the man, وسلم, maintaining his relationship with Islam, not running them away. Say, hey, do you have the, the ability to pay the penalty and free a slave? Because that's the first option. And I said, I don't have a slave. He said, can you feed 60 people? 62 months, 60 people. He said, I don't have the money. Can you fast? Can you fast? Two, two months. Can you free a slave first? No, I can't do that. Can you fast two months? No, I can't do that. Can you feed 60 people? Two months. He said, I can't do that. Prophet Muhammad said, go sit over there. Go sit over there and relax yourself. The day went on, the day went on. Some other Muslim came exhibiting his relationship with Islam. There are Muslims who need food. So he brought dates to the masjid as sadaqah, giving to the community, giving to the institution, helping others other than himself. Because your relationship with Al-Islam 
dictates and necessitates that what the Prophet say, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, the example of the believers and their love for each other, their mercy for each other, their concern for each other is like the example of one body. If one part of the body aches, the rest of the body suffers from fever and sleeplessness. That's our relationship. We're responsible for each other. So that man came in giving sadaqah, came in giving sadaqah. He brought some dates and said, Ya Rasulullah, these dates, sadaqah, fi sabirilah. Prophet Muhammad said, okay, he took it. He said, where is that man that asked the question who broke his fast? He came, here I am, Ya Rasulullah, here I am. Rasulullah said, here, here are these dates. I want you to take these dates and go and distribute them to the poor people of Medina. Go help others. The best of you are those who bring benefit to the others. That benefit has to start at home with your children, your family, your non-Muslim relatives, giving them Dao and all that. And then it started extending out into society as you understand where most benefit is going to be, right? So the man came, Rasulullah said, take this and go give it to the poor, go give it. The man was honest. He said, Ya Rasulullah, look at the, look at how the religion goes along with the reality of people's lives. The man said, Ya Rasulullah, you want me to go and give this food, this, this days out? He said, there is no one in Medina between the boundaries of Medina. No one who needs these dates more than me and my family. I'm going to go and distribute these dates. I'm starving like Marvin. Me and my family, my kids, they need these dates. Prophet Muhammad looked at the man and he gave him sadaqah and he smiled. Smiled at what he said. He said, take the dates, they're yours. The man broke his fast having relationship. He made the mistake, him. And he wound up taking the dates with him because Al-Islam goes along with the natural disposition of the human being and it goes along with wherever people are living, Al-Islam came and it meshes with that. It harmonizes. What did Allah say in the Quran? He said that he sent Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and he's a human being. He's a human being. I'm a human being like you. If Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam was a jinn and he came to the human being, well, I'm not having a relationship with Islam because I am messing with them jinn. I'm going to go the other way. No relationship. But he has to be, sim he's going to be similar to me. Allah didn't send angels walking into the lives of people. He didn't send angels walking into the marketplace, encouraging people to come and have a relationship with Islam. He sent a religion that addresses and it deals with the reality of people's lives. Look at that incident that I mentioned a few minutes ago. I have to bring it back to mentioning. Mu'adh ibn Jabal, if you recall, when he prayed Al-Isha Surat Al-Baqarah, when he found out what that man did, leave the jama'ah, he said to the people, he's a munafiq. That man is a hypocrite. That's a big statement. Allah said, the hypocrites are in the lowest part of the hellfire. The hellfire has levels, darajat, uh, darakat, they go down. The hellfire has doors. 
the Jannah, it has, Jannah has levels, levels. And Jannah has doors. Now, the one who's a hypocrite, they pose the worst danger to the Muslims because they're the ones who act like they're down with us, but they ain't down with us. They're the ones who try to exploit our weaknesses and they let the enemy know about our weaknesses, thus destroying the relationship and the connection that people have with Al-Islam. So Allah put them jokers in the deepest portion of the hellfire. May Allah Ta'ala protect us from being munafiqeen and from having the characteristics of the munafiqeen, although we may not be from them. When Mu'adh ibn Jabal said to them people, he's a munafiq, and he went to the prophet, the prophet heard the story, it turned out that the man was not a munafiq. That was the statement of the scholar of the companions who hold the flag and people are behind him from the ulama. But he made a statement that wasn't right. What he said is not revelation. It's not true. It's not right. So if one person was able to say anything and whatever he said, we had accepted it, just accept it. Other than the Nabi of Islam, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, then people are going to leave Islam because no one person has the haq as his sole possession. If that was the case, we're going to ha not have a relationship with Islam. I'm not going to have a relationship if someone were to impose upon me Saudi centrism. Uh, I have to worry about another country, about what's going on. And in my own environment, I put that secondary. I'm not going to be a part of that religion because I have to get busy with what is important to me, what's important to my family and so forth and so on. So as it relates to this issue, brothers and sisters, our relationship with this religion. Allah has made this religion easy to be practiced to help us, to help us maintain, foster, develop our relation with this deen, don't apostate. And in concluding, in concluding, our relationship with this religion necessitates and dictates that as a Muslim, Abdullah, I'm a Muslim, I have to pray. I have to have that salat. If I don't have that salat, I'm falling into kufr and I may not even have a connection to Islam because I put myself out of the religion. Spend in the cause of Allah for this issue and Allah made it easy. No, Allah didn't tell us, spend all of your wealth. Spend what's easy for you. But we know we have a great responsibility because everybody is not helping and everybody is not understanding. So the call here and the encouragement here is I put my voice with the voices of those people who want to support this particular initiative. And I ask Allah Ta'ala in addition to that, to make it one that is successful and to touch our hearts and our minds to help us to understand. We have a choice to give, but we don't have a choice. You are a Muslim, be responsible for your institutions. And from the most important institutions is Islamic education. And Allah, our law, my law is A'la and A'lam. Alhamdulillah. Jazakallah khairan, uh, Sheikh Abu Osama, for those very inspiring words. I pray that anyone that is listening that is a new convert to Islam or trying to find their way back to Islam, I, I pray that you find some inspiration in these words, these very powerful words. Uh, the religion of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is very easy. Uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not place any burden on us greater than what we can handle. 
although we don't know ourselves except in 2020. So therefore, you know, in hindsight, which is 2020 vision. Uh, so when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sometimes tests us with things, because we only know ourselves in hindsight, we oftentimes think that what we're being tested with is more than what we can handle. And it is only until after we've kind of managed to make it through do we realize that wasn't so bad and I can actually handle it. But you didn't know that at the beginning. So uh, Alhamdulillah, this is very beneficial, very much needed, especially during this time where people are trying to find their way back to Islam. Uh, Abu Sama, are you joining me on uh, Instagram? No. Okay, so uh, we don't have uh, time for questions and answers. Abu Sama, I think he has to go. I think he has another program that he has to attend to. Uh, nonetheless, we thank you for your time, um, for the information that you shared. Uh, and as always, man, you're always welcome, inshallah ta'ala. Hopefully by this time next year, we'll be able to invite you to the masjid, inshallah. Masjid al-Rawda will be able to invite you to the masjid to come and give a talk directly from the institution, inshallah. Uh, for some reason, he's saying that he can't hear anything. So... Uh, with that being said, inshallah, we'll, we'll kind of conclude um, the uh, the program here. Let me see something. Uh, Abu Sama, we can hear you. Okay, so I don't, uh, we're waiting for him to kind of figure out what's going on on his end. Uh, we can hear him. Uh, unfortunately, he can't hear us. Uh, can you hear us, Abu Osama? Give me one second. Okay, so he has another program to attend, so he doesn't have any time for questions and answers. Perhaps, inshallah, at another time, we can bring him on to answer um, some questions for the community. Jazakumallahu khairan. As again, uh, we appreciate all of your donations. Um, if you guys uh, would like to continue donating, uh, please feel free to do so. Our cash app is uh, roll the masjid, the cash app sign, roll the masjid. Our uh, PayPal is Mardia Community, M A R D I Y A H, Mardia Community at gmail.com. Uh, so this concludes our program. Um, I don't know if you guys had any questions, any suggestions moving forward, uh, but I would definitely like to get your take on all of the presentations that have gone, uh, that have you know, been presented uh, from yesterday until today. What do you guys think about it? You guys think that this was necessary? You guys think that this was beneficial? Should we do this more? Assalamu alaikum. Alaikum salam.
Yes, most definitely. This was well needed through the whole weekend, the whole week. It was a teardropper for me. It was an emotional roller coaster, but it gave me so much self-awareness of self to understand yourself. Now I can find myself. I'm not going to be by myself. It's things that I see that I haven't seen. My eyes are so wide open. It's just so much appreciated for you and your team to put this out there. We need this every day. <laughs> oh, yeah. We'll, we'll so definitely try to do it. Yeah. Yes, I mean, it was just like it gave me the foundation that I needed. Things that was lost, I found. Um, from Mufti Mayor, all of the guys from the um, the goal, the successness of how to come up, how to stay up. You know, we all fall down, but we get back up, and we all need help. We all need to ask. But as long as we stand on our foundation of faith and hold on tight to that rope. And the oneness of Allah, we ain't going to have no worries because we know who's in charge and he pays the cost to be the boss. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you for that. Alhamdulillah. Uh, how about you guys uh, online? You guys benefit from this? You guys on Zoom? Anybody else? Should we do this more often? Was there yes. anything, any jewels that you took away that, you know, you can share with us that, inshallah, that you can... Uh, Make us aware that maybe we missed. Go ahead. Um, a lot of the relationships that were discussed, like all came back and like connected to each other. Um, you guys basically spoke on a lot of the same hadith and how they all connect with the different relationships. Like last night, how you went with the relationship of Allah and that same hadith to brother just um, you know, kind of came back to and so did the brother earlier with the professional relationships. So it was just like very beneficial that, you know, all the relationships so tied in together, um, you know, and um, the basic information like that one hadith really wraps in so many different relationships, um, you know, that we're striving to have. Absolutely. Absolutely. We um, many of the hadith from all of the speakers, you'll find that many of the hadith were kind of shared between the speakers. And believe it or not, none of us like talked previously about any of the content that we were going to share right none of us talked about that so everything was you know kind of in in, in sync you know that that was not something that was contrived none of us knew what the other person was going to talk about other than the other than the title other than the you know the title of the talk uh so alhamdulillah it all kind of you know worked out together uh, can a small fly be made with just ways to donate? It would be easier to share on social media. Sh sure, absolutely, absolutely. We will um, we will share a flyer with uh, just different ways to donate. Uh, as I said before, that our goal was um, our goal was twenty five thousand dollars. <throat> the twenty five thousand dollars would have put us at roughly fifty thousand dollars in total. All right. So if we would have if we would have collected twenty five thousand dollars between yesterday and today, that would have put us at roughly fifty thousand dollars. As you guys know that when we started uh, Masjid Aroba, our goal was or when we started the fundraising process for Masjid Aroba, our goal was two hundred thousand dollars. And Alhamdulillah, we are roughly around the thirty five close to 4, uh, 40,000 mark. And it's only been uh, roughly about three months. So we're, we're, we're moving at a pretty good pace. 
we're moving at a very, very pretty good pace. And I am, I am content. And I know 100% that come January, inshallah ta'ala, we will have what we need, bi'ithnillahi ta'ala. And if we don't, we will have what we need. We will have whatever Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave us. And we will make do with what we have. And, you know, inshallah, if we can't get what we want, we'll get what we need. And we will continue to grow with that, inshallah. Any other questions, comments, any jewels that anybody took away that they would like to share that uh, perhaps other people can benefit from? Assalamualaikum. Um, please do this again if you can, inshallah, because we have our grandkids this weekend, so I couldn't like really get it like a lot of my notes that I wanted to put down. But one of the things that um that really stuck with me was he was saying have a balance in this thing, like keeping you know um the middle way is the best. Basically, don't go too far to the extreme and don't get too laid back and we have to remember that and I, I have to remind myself sometimes because I went from being too laid back but sometimes I can get real hard on myself and don't get myself a balance on there but that was that was really good and Mufti Manir also um he when he you know when I gave my question just giving me the advice to, you know, far as having a co-parenting situation. That's a really hard one in this dean. <laughs> That's really, really hard. You know, we think we got it and we really don't. And to get it from um, the Islamic aspect is beautiful because we need a lot of tools to do it the right way. The correct way. So I can show and, and believe it or not, what blew me away was when Mufti said he, he bought my book. Uh, I, I was I was actually kind of like, really? Uh, I'm not feeling. And the the reason why, guys, all good, man. Don't worry about it. Definitely reach out to somebody's entire conversation in the background. Uh, the reason why that 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 kind of uh, blew me away was not that it was um, not that it was um, uh, unheard of for a scholar to buy another scholar's book or to buy another um, imam's book that you know he authored. Not that that is something that is abnormal, although in the African American Muslim community. Uh, it can be a little abnormal. It's like this, you know, things that we bring with us from Jahiliya, this this unspoken competition between imams and students of knowledge. Your contemporaries, as Ibn al-Qayyim rahimahullah ta'ala mentioned, that sometimes contemporaries can, jealousy, the worst form of jealousy exists between contemporaries. And, and there's a lot of truth to that. Um, scholars who, you know, are of the same caliber, scholars that live during the same time, scholars that, you know, and it's like this unspoken competition between them. So you'll find a lot of imams or students of knowledge or sheikhs that, you know, they don't rarely listen to a lecture of this one or that one, or much less buy a book that was authored by another scholar. And to hear him say that there's, there's you know, there's obviously a lot of humility in that, that you would go and you know, purchase the book of another imam or another student of knowledge and actually open it and benefit from it. 
that takes that takes a lot. That takes a lot of humility because a lot of people would tend to think that, well, I'm a scholar like he's a scholar, or I'm a sheikh like he's a sheikh, or I'm a student of knowledge like he's a student of knowledge. Why do I need to buy his book or why do I need to listen to anything that he has to say? I have the same amount of knowledge that he has. And it's not about the amount of knowledge. It's about the uh, dissemination of the knowledge, the way that it is presented. You, you know, two scholars may talk about the same hadith, but the way that they apply it, the way, you know, when you listen to Hassan Akbar last night and the hadith that he presented and the way that he presented it and connected it to, you know, our, the Prophet Sallallahu crying and, you know, him, you know, uh, feeling depressed or, you know, and what we would term today as feeling depressed. You know, even myself, you know what I mean? Just kind of being within that realm of, you know, psychology and, you know, human behavior, you know, to hear somebody just, you know, present it like that. It's just like, wow, man, you know, never thought about it like that, you know? And, you know, yes, iron sharpens iron, but a person should never think that they are above being able to benefit from anybody. Um, you you may have thought that you heard everything, but you have never heard it the way that somebody else is going to present it to you. Sitting in Saudi Arabia, you're listening to scholar after scholar, hadith after hadith. After being there for a certain amount of years, you kind of hear the same hadith over and over again. But when you hear it presented from this scholar or from that scholar in a way that another scholar never presented it, you realize that these texts, these concepts that they can be applied, they're timeless pieces of information that can be applied to situations that you've never even thought of. So don't ever get to the point where you feel like, you know, where you feel like, oh, I know everything. I don't need to listen. I don't need to listen to this. I, I know this already. I heard this already. But you will never hear it the way that this person is presenting it. Uh, the book that he was referring to was the book that I, I wrote called uh, Blended Families. Uh, someone said that a great takeaway was to simply sit with your children and repair relationships, even apologize. Absolutely. As parents, we need to learn to humble ourselves in front of our children and apologize. Sometimes you get angry and you you might lash out at them. They might catch you at a wrong time. And then you double back and you say, hey, listen, I'm sorry for yelling at you, man, but you kind of caught me at a bad time. I really apologize about that. You will be amazed at how that affects your children. You'll be amazed. I've done it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like I lashed out like, yo, and it's like, you feel horrible afterwards, you like that, because you're looking at their facial expression, you know, especially boys, you know, boys, sometimes they can be very fragile, you know, and then they walk away with their head down or they walk away, but you can see from the body language that you scarred them. And this is especially true when it's between two men, a father and his son, you know, because the son is always trying to live up to the expectations of his father. The son is always trying to earn that validation from his father and then to have the father kind of lash out at him and just kind of it kind of shrinks him a little bit and then to go in to catch him in his room and say hey you know i apologize for yelling at you earlier like that man. I, I shouldn't have done that like, you kind of caught me at a bad time you know i was trying to do this or i was trying to do that and you know you were kind of annoying me a little bit and i, I really apologize about that you forgive me we good and, you know, he might say, yeah, we good, you know, and then in a few minutes later, it's just like, boom, the relationship is all the way back. You'd be surprised 
even as a mom, you know, the same thing. Sometimes it gets frustrating, you know, your daughter or your son, you know, they kind of get on your nerve and you might lash out at them in a, in a certain way. Double back, go back and apologize. Go back and apologize. It's humbling for you as a parent, but it also helps to let the child know that even as mom or dad, like I get angry, I get upset, I make mistakes too, right? I make mistakes too. And it teaches them the power of forgiveness. Our children are going to go out into a world that does not, that knows very little about forgiveness. The world that we live in know very little about forgiveness. They know very little about forgiveness. And the reason why is because forgiveness is a learned behavior. It's a learned behavior. We learn forgiveness. The same way that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, as I spoke about last night, Adam didn't know how to ask for forgiveness until Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala taught him, right? Allah taught Adam some words, meaning Allah taught Adam how to ask for forgiveness. Adam didn't have a concept of sin, nor did he have a concept of forgiveness. Until he committed the sin and Allah taught him how to seek forgiveness. That tells us that as human beings, forgiveness, seeking forgiveness, asking forgiveness is a concept that is a learned behavior. We don't just automatically know how to do that. And if you live in a home with parents and siblings and you have never seen the concept of forgiveness being exhibited or displayed within that household, how in the world will you ever have a concept of forgiveness? This is why you have men who get into argument with their wives and they hold grudges for such a long period of time. Women who hold grudges against their husbands for mistakes that they've made years ago. They've cried and begged for your forgiveness. And you've said verbally, yeah, I forgive you, but you still hold them accountable for it. Reason why is because we probably had very little engagement with the concept of forgiveness within our own homes growing up. Right, it's important to show them accountability, even if it's against ourselves. Very good, absolutely. Show them the concept of forgiveness. When you go to your child and you say, hey, I apologize for yelling at you earlier. I, I was a little flustered, I was a little upset. Please forgive me, man. We, we good? You, you forgive me? We good? All right, cool. Right? What you've actually did was you empowered them. You let them know that I'm coming to you to seek forgiveness from you. I need your forgiveness so I can be okay because I'm not okay because you're not okay. And in order for me to be okay, I need you to be okay. That's empowering to a child to know that my feelings matter and that my parents are not going to be okay until I am okay. That's empowering. That lets them know that my emotions matter. You guys follow me? Very important, man. Very important to teach our children the concept of forgiveness. Otherwise, they're going to go out into the world. They're going to assimilate the same unforgiving, merciless attitude of the vast majority of the people in the world. No mercy. No mercy. You look on Instagram, you see people fighting, people pulling out guns on one another, people doing things to one another. No mercy, no forgiveness, no nothing.
sociopaths. That's what we have become, a society of sociopaths. No mercy. I mean, uh, the, um, the Washington Post or the New York Post wrote an article about DMX and how many houses he lost and how he squandered his money. This is in the, in the event of his demise. The man just died yesterday and the Washington Post or you know New York Post are putting out articles shaming him. You know what I mean? Like this is a guy who is deceased. Did you hear his story? Did you hear how his mom took him to a, you know, and dropped him off at the Department of Human Services, right? Did you you see that? His mom dropped him off and left. And then he goes through this whole, his whole life just filled with all types of obstacles and challenges and things like this. And then to die the way that he did, and then the first thing that is published is articles written about, you know, his failures. Here again, highlighting his failures, because we got to make sure that your narrative, your true narrative is never told. It's just no mercy. Where's the mercy? Where's the compassion? Some of these young guys, they get shot, they die, and then you'll have their ops, their oppositions. They'll go on social media and make raps about how the guy got killed and how he deserved to die. No mercy. These young children have no concept of mercy. None. No concept of forgiveness. In Philadelphia, very, very prevalent in Philadelphia, where now, you know, a guy is murdered and then the the murderers show up at the funeral and start shooting at people during the funeral. No mercy, no concept of mercy, no concept of forgiveness, no remorse. Bad enough, you shot the guy, you killed the guy, his mom, his family members are at the funeral crying and then you show up to the funeral with guns to finish the job on his friends or anybody else who might be connected with him. No concept of mercy, no concept of forgiveness, no concept of remorse. And you know why? Guess why? Because they never saw that in the homes that they grew up in. The moment the child did something wrong, especially the boys, because women, especially single moms, hard on the young boys, hard on the boys. They make one mistake and off you go cursing them out and they're all types of MFs and they're all types of this and that and threatening to throw them out and threatening to, to do this to them and physically do that to them for a mistake. There's no conversation. There's no, hey, is everything okay? There's no, let me find out what your why is. Is there a deeper why for why you did what you did? Nothing. I know because I was one of those children. I know firsthand how that feels because I was one of those children. Just relentlessly beat for every single mistake. No concept of mercy, no concept of love, no concept of remorse and 
forgiveness, nothing. And then those children growing up in those type of households, they go out into the world with the same behavior. Home is the first madrasa. Home is the first school. Home is the first university. We don't send our children to school to learn mercy, compassion, remorse, forgiveness. They don't teach that in school. That's why home becomes the first school. This is where we teach our children these concepts. Teach your children the concept of mercy by showing them mercy. Teach them the concept of forgiveness by showing them forgiveness. Teach them the concept of remorse by showing them remorse. These are learned behaviors. These are not behaviors that a person just comes out of the womb of their mother already displaying. These are learned behaviors. Home is the first school. Very important, man. So with that being said, again, we appreciate all of your donations. We appreciate you guys tuning in. You're spending your Saturday with us. You listening, you're taking away some benefit, ta'ala. And as we go through the month of Ramadan, inshallah ta'ala, there will be more programs, uh, especially for Masjid Arroda. If there's anyone that would like to join Masjid Roda, you would like to become a member of Masjid Roda, you can go to our website, www.rodamasjid.com or masjidroda.com inshallah ta'ala and you can hit the registration button to become a member of the community we have a lot of great things going on this ramadan ta'ala. starting next friday this friday coming up inshallah we'll start um our series on the life and trial of imam ahmed the lecture will start at 6 p.m uh and that will be friday that will be monday wednesday and friday Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Uh, inshallah ta'ala, as we get closer to the last 10 nights, uh, we'll probably add more days to it. But for now, uh, the lecture series will only be Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, starting this Friday coming up, inshallah. The lectures will be from 6 p.m. until breakfast, which basically an hour and a half. All right? So I posted a, a copy of the, a picture of the book uh, on the website. That is basically the life or the biography of Imam Ahmed, which is where we're going to start. So if you got the book, you can go ahead and begin reading about his life now. So that way, as I'm talking, when I begin the lecture and I start talking and I'm making references to certain things, you are already privy because you've already got a head start. That was the purpose of me posting the cover of the book so that you guys can go purchase the book. So you can begin reading now so that when I'm giving the lecture and I start making certain references and I start saying certain things, you are privy. You are already privy to what I'm talking about. A lot of times scholars, they give lectures, imams, they give lectures and people are kind of lost because they don't have the backstory. They don't have any context. So alhamdulillah, if you, you ordered the book, you got the book, you can go ahead and begin reading about the life of Imam Ahmed ahead of time so that, um, you know, when we start the lecture series on Friday, inshallah, you have a little bit of background knowledge of what we're talking about. You're not like just completely oblivious, right? The the cover of the book is on um, uh, on my Facebook page as well as my, in, my as well as my Instagram page. It's called the biography of Imam Ahmed. 
the biography of Imam Ahmed. So basically just talking about his bio. Uh, it's kind of brief. I think, uh, I'm not sure. I think it's like 55 pages or 155 pages of the book, but it's not his whole biography. Most of the stuff that I will mention, you probably will read in there, but you will, that you're using that as your foundation. Stuff that I'm going to mention might be more, uh, but at least you will have some context, inshallah. All right. So uh, Ramadan, inshallah, will be within the next couple of days. Inshallah, we'll be praying tarawiyah either tomorrow night or Monday night, depending on when the moon is sighted. Uh, and I pray that, you know, you guys, um, I pray that this Ramadan is much better than it was last year. Most of the masajid are open for tarawiyah at very least. So you can go to the masajid and you can pray, pray with your family, inshallah. So we are in a much better situation this year than we were this time last year. Alhamdulillah. It's not back 100%, nor do I ever think it will go back to being the way that it was prior to uh, COVID. But nonetheless, we are grateful to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that at least we have some wiggle room. Things are not the way that they were this time last year. And for that, we're grateful to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The atmosphere is even different. It's not dark. Last year around this time, it was very dark. If you remember, it's not dark. It's very sunny. It's, you know, the atmosphere is a lot different. Now, you can actually feel Ramadan. As I was in the masjid yesterday for Jumu'ah, you see Muslims passing out, you know, Ramadan calendars. And, you know, it was a different vibe. It was a different vibe. And you can feel that the Muslims are looking forward to this 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 year for Ramadan. They're, they're, they're really looking forward to it. We need that energy. We need to replace this energy that we are seeing that is happening in the world today. We need to replace this energy that the Shelteen are taking full advantage of. We need to replace that energy with positive energy. Positive energy. We need more people going around the Kaaba like a windmill generates the energy, right? Going around the Kaaba, that is generating energy. Make no mistake about that. When you go out into the cornfields, they have those big windmills and they spin, right? And they're generating energy, right? Going around the Kaaba in, in unison, that is generating energy. And when people stop going around the Kaaba, it stopped generating positive energy. When the Masajid closed their doors, that stops the positive energy. So we need to, you know, reinvigorate ourselves with positive energy. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reward you all. Jazakumallahu khayran wa sallallahu ala nabina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa salama tasliman kathira wa subhanaka rabbika rabbil izzati amma yasifun wa salamun ala al-mursaleen walhamdulillahi rabbil alameen wa salamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Wa alaykum salam. Wa alaykum salam.